0: Colossians chapter 3, tonight, Colossians chapter 3, I told you, not only were we going to leave the town in which Philemon is set, we're not even going to leave his house, because he had church in his house, and uh, um, so we're staying put, but now we're in the book of Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to give you some introductory thoughts, first of all. Colossians, like Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, was one of Paul's prison epistles. there's a great deal of overlap with Ephesians, but I think Colossians would be most closely associated with the book of Philemon. And as we mentioned this morning, they were likely delivered at the same time by the same hands, this man named Tychicus. The church at Colossae was founded about the same time as Paul founded the church at Ephesus, but it was not paul that planted it paul had influence on a man named epaphras and epaphras planted the church at colossae about what well, was about 100 miles maybe away from ephesus epaphras came to paul greatly concerned about a heresy that was beginning to surround his congregation it hadn't yet found its way in and the church had not yet succumbed to it, but its effects were all around them. This heresy was a combination of things. It had elements of what's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught basically that God is good and all matter is evil. Anything that's physical is evil and has to be destroyed. Therefore, Jesus' humanity must be rejected. Well, we know that's not true. Jesus is, was and is 100% God and 100% man. It's called the hypostatic union. It also had elements of what's called asceticism, which is the harsh treatment of one's body and self-discipline that is both ineffective and harmful. Every year about the time of the Passover, if you go to certain Catholic-dominated countries like the Philippines, you will see people walking the streets beating themselves with whips, thinking that that somehow curries favor with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's very sad. Then they worked in some elements of Jew- Jewish legalism and even some Far East mysticism. All of this was kind of combined in this heresy that was coming against the church at Colossae. To combat this, Paul writes much about the glory and the preeminence of Christ. In fact, one of those verses we have here on our pulpit, that in all things, Colossians 1.18, the second part, that in all things, he, Christ, might have the what? The preeminence. Number one. Number one. He talks about salvation, forgiveness, and holiness. Now, our concern for this message is found in chapter 3, and verse number 1. With all of this in mind that we've just talked about, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory." Let me give you a quick sidebar that kind of ties all this together. When I was a coach, there were times that I would sense the need to separate a player from the rest of the team, maybe in a timeout situation, and I'd ask them this question. Where's your head right now? Now, the way that I posed that question and the mannerisms I used in posing that question differ greatly between young men and young ladies. I learned that the hard way. When you ask a young man where his head is, he'll just look at you, "Mm -hmm," you know, you ask a young lady that in the wrong way and you've pretty much finished yourself for the season. So let's, let's talk about the guys. Where's your head right now? And if I felt especially the need to permeate his skull, I would say, where's your head right now, Nancy? Something like that. It worked better than you thought. Or I would implore them, maybe you've heard this phrase, get your head in the game, right? That's basically the mindset that Paul is employing in chapter 3, verse 2. When he says, set your affection on things above, that phrase, set your affection, means your mind or your thinking. I didn't do a book recommendation this morning, and I meant to. And one of the books that I wanted to recommend, I wanted to recommend any commentary by a gentleman named Guy King. Guy King was an Anglican of all things, but he was an old school Anglican. And his commentaries on 1 John and Philippians and the one I was going to recommend this morning, the book of Colossians, are second to none. Don't agree with everything in it, just like any commentary I own, but it was just a tremendous resource. So there's my book recommendation. Commentary on Colossians or any commentary by Guy King. But anyway, he says this, that this passage is all about our ambitions. Listen to this. That which motivates us to do what we do and be what we are. That which motivates us to do what we do and be be what we are. So Paul is admonishing the Colossian believers to ponder a question that I think would be good for us to ponder as well. Here it is. You ready? Where's your mind? Where's your mind? So Father, would you help us to answer that question? And depending on what the answer is, to get our minds where they need to be. Lord, would you help me as I preach this and teach this? Would you prepare our hearts for your table? And may Jesus be lifted up in all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the grand things about having the Lord suffer is it usually means I preach shorter and all God's people said, amen. I hear you. Just for that, I might slow down a bit. I'll show you. Let's start first of all by looking at the context, looking at the context. When you want to get context over a verse, you go back and read before it. So let's just, for time's sake, let's just look at verse 1. Let's just look at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. What's he talking about? Seeking those things which are above, as opposed to what? Well, when you go back into the the first two chapters, and particularly chapter two, you see that Paul is saying that they need to be drawn away, first of all, from enticing words. You see that in verse four of chapter two. What's that? These are arguments that seem plausible. You know, the world can put forth some information that, if you're not careful, seems plausible. Well, of course you ought to live together for your married house. You're going to figure out whether or not you're going to get along. You take that away from the Bible and the Holy Spirit. That sounds like plausible information, doesn't it? But it's not. The statistics bear it out. It's not, you know. And boy, I tell you, they can put on quite the show to tell you how everything got here. Well, don't you understand, there's a big bang? And this happened here, and this happened here, and this evolved here, and this, this mutated over here. Man, it sounds good. Sounds plausible, but it's not. These enticing words. He says they need to be drawn away from philosophy in chapter 2, verse 8. What is philosophy? That's the highest efforts of which intellect is capable. If you take away the word of God, you take away the spirit of God, it's the highest efforts of which your non-converted human mind is capable. Can I tell you something, friend? We've seen here in recent days how much of a lunatic people can be away from reason and common sense and God's word. There's some really smart people out there that are telling us that there's more than two genders. (laughs) there's some really smart people out there that are telling us that the Bible is not only not useful, it's dangerous. God's word in 1 Corinthians tells us that man's philosophy is foolishness to him. In verse 8 also says we need to be drawn away from vain deceit. This is an emptiness describing man's philosophy. It's all vain and it's all deceitful. In verse 8, he also talks about being drawn away from man's traditions. Now, here's the thing about man's traditions. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But whether they're good or bad, even the good ones, if they are elevated to the level of Scripture, if they're elevated to the level of doctrine, they, I don't care how good they seem, they become bad. See, Paul says you need to get away from that. Then in verse 8, he talks about the world's rudiments, the rudiments of the world. This is, those, this is when, when, when you have revealed truth, but you're so bent on finding something else that you regress into a childish way of viewing things. It's very elemental. In verse 16, he talks about legalistic judgments, particularly that you see in the Jewish way of thinking. And then in verse 18, he talks about wrong worship. He's saying these are the things that you need to pull away from, and rather, you need to seek those things which are above. That's the context. But then in verse number 2, he gives us the command. He gives us the command. Set your affection on things above, not on things above. On the earth. Now, those that are here on Wednesday nights and those that are in my Bible class, you know that I am all about defining our what? Terms. So let's define some terms, shall we? First of all, the word set. Now, in this particular passage, set your affection is all one word. But the word set does have some use in Bible writings but also in the English understanding of those writings. Now follow me on this because it's going to sound like I've gone crazy. In Bible times, did anybody set their watches to anything? No, they didn't have watches unless it was like the Flintstones and they had a sundial on their wrist and they'd do it that way. But the word, the idea behind set really does come. What's happened is our phrase today, set your watches, actually harkens back to this way of thinking. What does it mean? It means, listen now, to gauge to a reliable standard. To gauge to a reliable standard. If we're tuning this piano... Middle C, am I right? Did I get it right? No, it's that one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, see, one out of two ain't bad. All right, middle C. If we're tuning that piano, we may get it sounding perfect, but if middle C is tuned to D, is it right? I don't care how beautiful it sounds. If it's not tuned correctly, if it's not set to a reliable gauge, then it's not right. As Christians, if we do not set our lives according to the reliable gauge of the Word of God, then nothing in our lives are going to be right. Nothing. And so when he says to set, it's just like with your watch. Now, for most of us that have a smartphone Or a smart watch we assume that's pretty good time that it's keeping but in the days before that what's the ultimate standard for where your time should be set Greenwich Mean Time right those that lived in England what they set their watches to if they lived in London Big Ben because somebody's job was to set that big watch, the big clock, to something reliable. Now, here's the problem, Christians, and even Christians are doing this. We have set ourselves to all kinds of standards that are at best transitory. Some of them just flat out wicked. Well, I'm going to do right based on what society says is right and wrong. You better not. I'm going to do what's right based upon what I feel. Oh, here's one. I'm just going to follow my heart. Problem is your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it, including yourself? Set your affections. What Paul is saying is you need to find a reliable standard. Engage it to that. As we've mentioned, your affection is your mind, your thinking. It's the way you comprehend things. Now, notice this. He says, set your affection on things above. Now, I'm going to say something. Sometimes we read this and think, well, I'm just supposed to be thinking about Jesus all day, every day. Problem is, you can't. As lofty as a goal as that is, the fact is, living in this world requires that we think about other things. If you go to work, you got to think about your job. If you're doing a job that is, like like Brother Josh, Brother Josh does a very serious job in which he he helps in in the healing of people in surgical situations. In that particular moment, Brother Rourke, think about your job why is this person dead? I was just thinking about Jesus the whole time. and (laughs) Sorry. He doesn't say set your affection on Christ. He says set your affection on things. Now, should we spend a lot of time talking about Jesus? Of course we should. But we're not talking about Jesus proper. He's saying set your affection on those things that point you to Jesus. Things that are what? Above, not things of this earth. What's another way we could put that? Eternal versus temporal. As a Christian, as a responsible husband, father, pastor, preacher, teacher, American, and everything else, I have the responsibility to set my thinking, my mindset on those things that prepare for eternity, pointing to Christ, and not on those temporal earthly things that ultimately will fade. So that's the command. Thirdly, he offers us some comfort. Does it ever get tiring doing that? Do you ever, do you ever feel like, man, life, I'm so bad at being a Christian. I know y'all probably don't, but I do. There are times that I sit and I look in, in my spiritual mirror and I say, I'm the worst Christian I know. I'm certainly, certainly the worst pastor I know. I'm the worst Christian I know. I'm, I'm the worst husband I know. I'm the worst father I know. My goodness. How in the world am I going to get the victory over all this? How in the world am I going to make my mind think like it should? Verse 3, what gives us the ability to set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth? Four, because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Wait a minute, isn't that a contradiction to verse 1? Verse 1 says, if ye then be risen with Christ, but then verse 3 says ye are dead. Which one is right, both of them? Well, which is it, am I alive or am I dead? Yes. Can I give you a verse? Romans six eleven. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are both. And if you understand that when you got saved, you're alive unto Christ, but you're dead to your sins, that clears it up a lot and brings a lot of comfort. We just don't take advantage of it. The comfort is in our position. Where am I? No matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens around me, what happens in the White House, the Supreme Court, Congress, the Virginia House of Delegates, and Senate, and everything else, here's my comfort. My life is hid with christ in god boy you talk about being insulated you are safe you are hid with christ in god and if god hid you nobody's gonna find you first corinthians 6 17 paul says but he that is joined unto the lord is one spirit So, the context, the command, the comfort, but then in verse 4, we get to uh, to look forward a little bit to the culmination. What's the ultimate culmination of this thing, verse 4? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's how this thing ends. And what's great about how it ends is that's also how it begins. I've told you this before. I look forward to a lot of things about heaven. I do look forward to seeing the Lord Jesus. I look forward to having a lot of the questions that I have answered. Do you have questions? Do you wonder what he looks like? Now, we know what he smells like, don't we? Aloes, casey, and myrrh. That's what the psalmist said the Messiah smells like, this garment smell of aloe and casey and myrrh. So I know what he's going to smell like. What's his voice sound like? What color are his eyes? Probably brown, because most of the Jews of that day were. I don't know that for sure, though. But that's not the only thing I'm looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. I'm looking forward to the Crystal River. I'm looking forward to the trees that got fruit that changes every month. So if you don't like one, just hold on. There'll be another for the healing of the nations. I'm I'm looking forward to everybody knowing I'm right about Paul writing Hebrews. I'm looking forward to seeing loved ones. And when I see them, they won't many of them won't look like they did when they left yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting people that I didn't know down here. Bible says, we'll know, even as we're known. I'll know who Paul is, and crazier than that, Paul'll know who I am. <laughs> I get excited when some Low-level celebrity knows who I am down here, you know, like Bill Hensley. If Bill Hensley knows me. That's a big deal. He's not low-level, though. He's big time. Paul will know who I am. But if, you, if you've been under my preaching at all, you know what really, really excites me. I get a new body. Oh, preacher, have you been hurting? No, that's not what I'm excited about. In that new body is a new mind. And that new mind doesn't think about things that displease him anymore. That mind is no longer encumbered by appetites that I created when I was younger that I wish would just go away. That mind is no longer sullied by wrong motives and wrong ideas. My mind will glorify him as much as I've ever wished to in my body. And never again will I ever entertain anything that's displeasing to him. I really look forward to that. That's, that's a lot of hope there, isn't it? So we've been through this. We've seen the context. What Paul says you need to get away from. We've seen the challenge, or the command rather. We've seen the comfort and the culmination, but what I want to leave you with tonight is the challenge. Until our faith becomes sight, we are ever under a challenge. And this is the question that I want to ask you. It's the same question I'd ask you if I was your coach. Where's your mind? Right now. In this moment, where's your mind? What motivates you? To do what you do and to be what you are. Are you motivated? Have you set your affections on things above? Are you meditating on your personal walk with God? Are you setting your affections on how you can invest in others? Things like soul winning, how to make much of your personal joy that you find in obedience to Christ. Are these the affections you've set your mind on? Those things that lean towards eternity. I knew a preacher growing up that used to always say to live in light of eternity. J.B. Lightfoot said this He said, You must not only seek heaven, you must also thank heaven. Because that's where we're headed, y'all. Now, am I saying that we can't be involved in things on this earth that some would consider temporal? Sure, we can. But but like like for instance, Miss Carly. Her job with that volleyball team is not just to teach them how to play the sport. How can that sport be used? For eternity's sake. Granite Christian Academy is not about getting kids into good colleges. If they get into good colleges, great, praise the Lord. But we're about preparing them for eternity. As a husband, I am not just striving to be a great husband so people can say, I'm a great husband, or my wife can brag on me and say, I'm a great husband. I want to make a difference in eternity as a husband, as a Father and all the other roles that I play in life. Everything connects to eternity. So as we approach everything we do, are we doing so having set our affection on things that are eternal? Or is our mind on things on the earth? I've got to get better at this sport, okay? Why? Why? Because if you want to get better at this sport to provide an avenue for you to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then have at it. But that's usually not the case. It's this. It's okay to be great at a sport. But remember, don't let it take your affections from above to the earth. Where's your mind? Fame. If you want people to know you instead of knowing Jesus, then something's misaligned. But, but I've, got, I've got to reach a certain status. I've got to advance at my job. I've got to earn a certain amount of money. I've got, to, I've got to reach this level of happiness or satisfaction. All of those things, if kept in their right place, can be useful. But what happens more often than not is they become their own means to an end. Everything we do needs to be with eternity in mind. How can this be used to make a difference for eternity? Eternity. Amen. And that's the challenge. Where's your mind? Is your mind pointed this way? Or this way? Where's your mind?